0: You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Morning Westside, I'm Ben Fleming. I'm one of the senior pastors here on staff and uh, excited to be with you today as we continue our series going through heroes of the Bible, but more specifically heroes that maybe you haven't heard of or haven't explored their stories of. Uh, A little quick thing about me, I I function with our Generations Ministry Department here at Westside uh, and a lot has gone on in uh, the last probably five or six months, including that we have a new youth pastor, Josh Cordell, who's over on the youth side right now, hanging out with the students over there. Uh, And Wednesday nights are popping as well as uh, our kids ministries that happen here on Sunday mornings. If you've never gotten the chance, go peek in the first through third grade room uh, during or immediately after a service. That is a raging party of uh, first through third graders and the leaders, by the way, are some of the loudest, most exciting. Um, so a lot going on in our Generations Department here at Westside and hope that uh, you can be a part of it in some way, shape or form, or at least at least view it. My wife and I just celebrated our fifth year here in Bend, which makes me like a veteran for sure. Um, I say things like, I remember the the circle on Newport before the remodel and it was a long time ago, and uh, I just feel like you don't run into that many people anymore that have been here for more than a couple of years. You say, well, you just moved to Ben. That's amazing. And or, or, oh, you live in Ben. How long have you been here? Well, it's been three or four years. There's some of you who have been here for 20, 30 years uh, that are sick of those of us joining your club, but we're here. I'm in my fifth year, and I feel very important now. Uh, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 15. We're going to be in verse 42, and we're going to talk about Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, who takes up such a small piece of the gospel narrative, but I believe it's such an important piece and there's a lot for us to learn right now, maybe for you personally with where you're at in this moment in your life. So in verse 42 of Mark 15, it says, this all happened on Friday, meaning the death of Jesus on the cross, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath, as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead. And so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead. So Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth and then he took Jesus's body down from the cross, wrapped it in cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. And then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. A lot of times our temptation in the church is to highlight these really big, loud, dynamic voices that exist in Scripture, and they are good and necessary and holy and important. But this story comes from the voice or the, the living out of someone who doesn't even speak in the gospel narrative of Scripture. Instead, he just serves in a way that I believe is dynamic and beautiful. Let's pray together. Father God, We thank you for all that you're doing in this place, for this community that continues to gather again and again and again under the banner of Jesus. Lord, I pray that today would just be another opportunity to see your way, how you move, how you love us and how we can love and serve the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Uh, I'm a big fan of the dreary weather that we've got going on right now. I like overcast skies, I like a lot of rain. Um, I'm just a big, big fan. I heard, I heard that the weather system hitting the west coast of the United States right now is called a cyclone bomb. Have any of you guys heard this? They're just making stuff up now. It's a big storm, it's a cyclone bomb. You know, it could be a professional wrestling move, it could be a computer virus. I have no idea. And I was looking through some of the weather reports, the name just caught my eye, and I was like, oh, like, we're all about to die for sure. And they were like, well, what's going to happen in the middle of a cyclone bomb? I'm like, well, you know, just a lot of rain, fair amount of rain. You don't get to do that. You don't get to sound the alarm for a cyclone bomb and then tell me, expect some rain. <laughs> it's not cool. But I think, I think, and maybe this is me just maneuvering this to to work for me in my life. I think I like the rain because it gives me an opportunity, an excuse even, uh, to stay where I'm at, stay in the sweatpants a little bit. Be contemplative uh, prayerful even Um, I like to read I like to slow down there are some of us and probably most of us in the room this morning that are like I want you wait for that sunshine to come out you wait for the snow to melt you're already dressed in all of your biking gear and you're ready to hit the road at a moment's notice for me I love looking out the window and going oh we don't have to do anything today this is so nice and I do, I like those quiet moments, I like those contemplative moments, and I think I identify with some of those quieter, contemplative elements of this story that happens with Joseph of Arimathea. Now, if you don't know, Joseph, is a, he's a rich person. We know that because the fact that he even possesses a tomb for his family to be buried in, it required a substantial amount of wealth. We also know that Joseph of Arimathea was called a secret follower of Christ, that he had been keeping this hidden in his life from other people and we know that he was a member of the high council and so what joseph is about to do and what he carries out it comes at an extreme amount of risk for him socially and culturally He's now about to identify himself not just with a religious leader or a rabbi. He's about to identify himself who has become the face of the rebellion against Rome, the face of a group of people that have come against traditional Judaism. And he now represents this group of people by stepping out and doing three different things. And the first thing is this he goes to Pilate and he asks to serve. He goes to the one that just gave the go ahead to crucify the man that he had been following for several years and that he had now dedicated his life to. The man who says, send him to the cross is the one who Joseph approaches next. Talk about an awkward conversation to out himself as this follower right in front of pilot and then to take on this task that clearly nobody else wants to take on. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go through a grocery store and somebody has left their cart right in front of the area that I am trying to shop at and I can't say a word to them. Excuse me, can you move your cart? That doesn't happen. I just stand there and I go, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm shopping over here. It's fine. You wait for him to move and you slide over very quietly. Wait for him to go around. This is a very Pacific Northwest thing I'm talking about here. So if you're not from here, maybe you don't understand. Very passive aggressive, very kind of creeping in the area until we get what we want. I have a difficult time with those conversations. I have a difficult time with conversations often in my family or in my workplace. And Joseph, who has been keeping this secret about his life for so long, says, I'm going to go to the person that has crucified my Savior and I'm going to begin this open service. In such a way. I wonder if we couldn't be bold enough in our lives to approach and create conversations with people that we don't like or agree with, or maybe have even hurt us on purpose, and we can still find areas and ways to serve. I'm leery and worried about an environment that we could potentially create and that anywhere that has been tainted or any conversation that has been difficult, now all of a sudden we immediately remove ourselves from that environment and never begin to serve or to create some good or hope in it again. I hope that we are a people that can have conversations in difficult places with difficult people and we can find ways to serve for the ultimate glory of God. It may be one of the biggest tasks that we face as, for us individually, for us as the church, but it's a necessary and important task. The second thing that Joseph does is that he begins to, to pull the nails. This would have been a really difficult process to remove this, not just from Jesus's body, but from the cross itself. It would have required Joseph to walk out in the middle of this open space in which people had been gathered to watch Jesus die. Maybe some of them still around at the moment. He would have been telling the entire crowd at this time that I am somebody that will serve and honor this Jesus. I don't know how you feel about being exposed in such a way. I felt exposed this last week uh, in a couple ways. I was talking to a a couple of our high school students here at Westside, and one of them looked at me and said, Pastor Ben, have you seen this TikTok? And his friend looked at me and said, look at him, he doesn't have a TikTok. (laughs) And I said, look at him. I mean, I don't have a TikTok, and I don't know how it works, but how dare you? I had another instance, me and a few friends have been playing basketball. We're trying to play basketball a couple times a week. And um, I was on this team. We were playing three on three. And I noticed about a couple points into the game that the team that I was against began to do little signals to each other and begin to kind of move their heads like this. And what I discovered is that they felt like they could score on me as much as they wanted. (laughs) And they were right. So they kept screening and switching and, you know, I'm trying to guard different guys to get a little bit of a break and they just give the ball to the guy that I'm guarding. And 10, 11, 12 buckets in a row, I walked over to the bench and I said, well, I think I'll go home now. There's that feeling, right? And this is a silly example, but that feeling of, oh my gosh, everybody knows. Cause right there for me, it wasn't like, oh, everybody knows that, you know, Ben is just on the other team. It was, we, everybody knows Ben's fitness level right now. Everybody knows Ben's ability to jump right now in this moment. There's an exposure. Everybody can see and they know. And the idea of walking out, especially after keeping a secret of following Jesus for so long, the exposure that it would require, that you would have to wade through in order to pull the nails from Jesus's body, would be of immense importance to Joseph of Arimathea. It's a vulnerable vulnerable spot because of his separation of class. It's vulnerable because of that rebellion against Rome. He loses a lot in saying yes to Jesus and pulling the nails in this moment, and he gains virtually nothing. Not a very good investment plan, but a holy one. Finally, Joseph does this. He carries the body. He feels the weight of the lifeless body of Jesus. I'm curious what Joseph is thinking while he works and he walks with the body of Jesus. There's only a handful of people that we can be for sure that are actively still following Jesus right now in this moment. Uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, who we referenced, Joseph himself, Nicodemus, the one who, who Jesus says, for God so loved the world he gave his only son. Nicodemus comes and helps with the preparation of the body. Then everyone else for one reason or another has become okay with the body of Jesus being disposed of in whatever way necessary. But here's Joseph, he carries Jesus and he doesn't just carry him anywhere, he, car- he carries him to his family's tomb. Joseph's family is probably in that tomb already as well. He's not just declaring his faith in a public manner to Jesus, he is adopting him into his family. He's carrying his hope that he had held on to for maybe years. Joseph is honoring what Jesus has done in his own life, that he's been transformed. He says it again and again. He acknowledges it in his actions as he carries the body of Jesus. I can't imagine the amount of doubt that would have entered into my own mind in these moments. You carry that body of Jesus, maybe you've seen some miracles or you've even wondered if you've seen some miracles and now he finds himself carrying Jesus and maybe even saying, I wonder if everything that he said was true. Because right now it doesn't feel miraculous. You know what I'm saying? Right now this weight is so heavy, it feels like an average, normal body. Nothing different between him and me. And I wonder if Joseph isn't teaching us, or maybe we can learn something from this area with Joseph, because I don't know about you, so often in my faith journey, I have felt the necessity to say, I am a Sunday morning, Jesus-loving, Christ-preaching Christian. Now, Sunday morning is real, and the victory that those of us who belong in the kingdom of God, who have made the decision to serve in the way of Jesus, that victory is a real thing. But I've preached this message in a way where I've tried to manipulate the audience and saying, look, that's exactly where we live. That's the only place that we ever feel. And if you're not feeling victorious, it's just because the world is coming against you and there's an enemy that hates you. And all of that is true. But I've come to believe and understand that it is a a necessary part of our discipleship to acknowledge that sometimes faith feels like carrying a dead body on a Saturday and not like a resurrected savior on a Sunday. And my reaction in these moments and in these environments and feeling some of that doubt and some of that weight so often as maybe I don't belong here, or maybe I don't have enough faith to believe, or maybe some of you are dealing with some physical ailments. You've been asking God for healing and that moment hasn't come. And all of a sudden it feels more like a Saturday than it does a Sunday. And you begin to question, do I even have enough faith? Do I believe in this thing at all? Maybe I don't belong. And I want to tell you today that if you felt that kind of shame from your one if you felt that kind of shame from the weight that sometimes faith has felt like it has put on your shoulders, I want you to understand that you probably belong more now than ever before in your life. There's something beautiful and powerful about feeling that weight and not running from it, like to be honest, all of these other disciples did. They ran off and they hid. Some denied him. Some believed that it was all over and he would never come back and nothing would be made of this faith again but Joseph shows up to the dead body even if he's the only one. And he carries and he bears and he feels that weight. I wonder if your ability and your time in your era of feeling this weight isn't actually something that creates more glory of God and understanding of who Jesus is in your life. I wonder if some of these things that maybe feel dead or are dead that the journey doesn't end there, but instead it's just an unfinished thing. The author A.J. Swoboda says this in his book, A Glorious Dark, he says, more of faith than we'd like to admit consists in sitting in the tomb, a side of faith many of us probably didn't sign up for. Joseph probably didn't, and while maybe we didn't anticipate those dark moments of waiting, they are nonetheless holy moments. Faith isn't just Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Faith is awkward Saturday too. So much is sitting in the tomb with the soon to be resurrected Lord. It's so dark, it's so damp, it's so scary. The silence is deafening. But there is hope in there in that kind of dark. There's a kind of beautiful light, not a normal light, not the light of the sun or the light of a lamp or the light of a flashlight, a different light that few can see. The light in the full tomb goes much deeper than physical light. And it's in that kind of darkness, there's glory. In the tomb, the darkness is thick, but that's where God is. I've been thinking about this idea of investment and how, again, Joseph of Arimathea being a rich man probably understood investment to a certain degree. I wonder if there was a thought of this is probably not gonna be the highest return on investment I've ever had. A lot of risk to my life and to my career my family, taking up a spot in our tomb that's incredibly valuable. I wonder what that return on investment will ultimately look like. And even in spite of that, he serves and he loves and he honors anyway. Even if the reward is just to be with Jesus for one more night. I heard my brother say once, I love my brother. He's one of the most poetic, thoughtful people I've ever spent time with. And we were talking about faith um, and he said, I think faith is being kind and suffering the consequences. And I was like, shoot. And his thought process behind it, and he wouldn't consider himself a Jesus follower by any means, but his thought process behind it was, we say the phrase, treat others how you want to be treated. He said, but the thing is in faith circles, what we secretly attach to the end of that is so that I'll be treated kindly in return too. Excuse me, did you hear what I said to you? I'm, I'm being kind to you. Why are you speaking to me in such a way? I expected a return on investment here in this process. And what I put in, I'd like to see come out. I'd like to know, and and Joseph didn't have the benefit, the understanding, the perfect confidence that what would happen on Sunday would happen. Instead, he serves and he loves and he is kind and is ready to receive whatever consequences might happen on the other side. I wonder if we can be a church that can be kind and be willing to suffer the consequences. I'll leave you with this story, this scripture about um, Jesus calming the storm that a lot of you are familiar with. Jesus is spending time with these disciples and he says, now let's get on the boat and let's go ahead and go to the other side. It says, evening came, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind. Although other boats followed, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the waves. Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And he asked them, why are you afraid? You still have no faith. And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who's this man? They asked each other that even the wind and the waves obey him. My favorite part of the story is not that the wind and the waves stopped, not that the cyclone, cyclone bomb stopped. My favorite part is that the disciples, even though they were enraged and scared and horrified, they still went to the right place. Hey, Jesus, you don't even care. Don't you feel this? He's, he's asleep, can you believe this guy? They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him do incredible things. They still run down to him and they say, look, we're dying out here. And I don't know about you, but just to be real, especially over the last couple of years, I've spent more time feeling like I'm carrying a dead body of faith and more time like I'm screaming at the heavens going, no one cares. Where are you? I'm alone. I don't have any answers anymore i don't know what the next step looks like and all you've given me god here on this saturday is this dead body that held my hopes and dreams and now it won't even move and what i've come to believe is that that moment of where are you you don't even care. If you would just move your body again, if you would just stand up and do a miracle again, I've learned that those moments of being in the middle of the lake and being in the darkness of the tomb, those are just as holy and necessary in our lives as sharing from the greatest victory. So I want to ask you to do something today. I want you to, I want to ask you to hold fast not don't ask the questions not don't wonder or be afraid in that darkness i'm not asking you any of those maybe god in in specific moments will ask you those himself but i want to ask you to do this today in the middle of saturday i want you to ask you to just sit in the tomb in the middle of the lake i want you to just stay with jesus as I don't want to make the mistake again of feeling like it's my job or it's the church's job, as beautiful as our jobs are and our importance is immense on this place, but I do not want to trick myself into believing that I am the one that is in control of the wind or the waves or the one that will ultimately make this dead body come to life again. Instead, I know my place and my calling, and that's to be with Jesus. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that darkness and that questioning and that wondering, but I wanna encourage you to do something. Stay with Jesus. Father God, we give you praise and glory this morning. We pray that Westside Church would be a place that at the very least understands what Saturday feels like. And Lord, I pray for those of us right now waiting on healing waiting on a life turn, waiting on encouragement, waiting on something to just move for the first time what seems like forever in their lives on what is surely a Saturday. Lord, I pray for the encouragement to stay, to serve, to commit, to love, and to care about the world around them and about you and your kingdom. Jesus, give us the strength to be with our Savior. No matter how heavy the weight is, Jesus, we do believe we want to acknowledge that there is victory in this story. In your great name we pray. And everybody said, amen.